You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven, or even to eight, for you know not what disasters may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart, and put away pain from your body, for youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened, and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they are few, and those who look through the window are dimmed, and the doors on the street are shut, when the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, then terrors are on the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God, who gave it. This is the word of the Lord, and it is given for our good. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Christchurch Toronto. If you're just now tuning in, thank you so much, Stephen, for reading to us. Let's pray before we turn our attention to this passage. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we, your children here in Toronto, now humbly ask that you would speak to us clearly through this, your word, that we would be a people who, hearing your word, would be filled with hope, with a robust belief that Jesus died for our sins on the cross and that he rose from the dead, and that this changes everything, and it gives to us hope. Fill us with hope, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, with the passing of the Canadian comedian Norm MacDonald this week, I spent quite a bit of time watching various clips of MacDonald, learning about his life, laughing quite a bit, even learning about his faith. And I had no idea that Norm Macdonald suffered from an extreme form of social anxiety through much of his childhood. And this social anxiety prevented him from enjoying much of his early years. 
But there was one definitive moment in his life where everything changed. Norm's father had a very close friend, a family friend, who was blind. And Norm's father asked uh, Norm to walk this uh, blind friend to the store. It sounds like something uh, straight out of a comedian's joke line, but apparently this was true. He had a, a blind family friend, and he was asked to walk him to the store. And as he walked this blind family friend to the store... Norm uh, was asked by the friend to describe what he saw. And McDonald claims in his book that this exercise of walking his, this family friend to the store actually took him outside of himself. And it ended up alleviating his social anxiety. And he found great delight in describing the world to this friend. One of the observations McDonald claimed that he made when he realized that he, he had some hope to be a comedian is uh, the blind man was asking him, what do you see? What do you see? And uh, he saw what appeared to be a homeless person and a dog. And he described this situation to the blind man by saying, what I see is a dog who believes he is on the longest walk of his life. <laughs> Norm MacDonald had this idiosyncratic way of viewing the world. That joke kind of sums up a lot of how he viewed the world. And that isn't altogether different from comedians. I think that's why they have such a compelling uh, voice in our society. But most comedians see their job as cynically pointing out the irrational absurdities in life. But according to MacDonald, he believed uh, differently. He wrote before he died that the smart man says nothing is a miracle. Not me, he wrote, I say everything is a miracle. Comedy for McDonald was a bit about viewing the world through this lens that all is a miracle. Maybe we could say all is a gift. And in some senses, that is kind of what the preacher has been doing for us as we worked our way through this book of Ecclesiastes. He's been walking through the world with us and pointing out the absurdities that certainly exist. He's been saying over and over again that life has a very frustrating feel to it, and there's no way to kind of get around it. The inevitability of death, the unfairness of life, the frustrating nature of life, all these things weigh heavy on us, and we can try to pursue power and pleasure and wealth and status, but they will do very little. We will still be stuck in this frustrating world. We're at the very end of the book. There'll be one more sermon next week on Ecclesiastes. And the preacher is ending by wrestling through this question, how should we live? How should we live? And the preacher wants us to know that, yes, this world has a frustrating feel to it, but that doesn't mean we should live in despair. The preacher wants us to know that our life should be similar. We should make similar observations in our life that McDonald makes. That is that all is miracle. All is a gift. So this is how the, the preacher wants to give us wisdom as to how to live in this world. In a frustrating world where it seems like everything is frustrating and fading, we need to see everything as a gift. And the way we're going to do that is by living lives that are characterized by taking risks, lives that are characterized by rejoicing, and lives that are characterized by remembering. We're going to, so this is what we're going to look at, the wisdom the preacher is going to give us. He's going to tell us that we need to live lives characterized by risking, rejoicing, and remembering. His first instruction might feel kind of strange, risking. How is that sort of godly advice? But this is exactly what the preacher is saying, because life has this frustrating feel and overtone to it. 
We need to live lives that are characterized by risk. This is what's going on in chapter 11, verses 1 through 6, this phrase, cast bread upon water. This is likely some reference to either commerce, you know, send off your grain to go to foreign markets. It could be related to foreign relations, send your brain, uh, your grain out on uh, a boat to make trade relationships. I spent way too much time reading this week that it could also be a reference to brewing beer, cast your bread upon water. This is part of how beer brewing works. Um, but the, the point, whatever exactly the reference is, the point is that though life has this frustrating feel, we are to conduct our business in such a way that we take risks and we hope for a return. Give to seven, even eight. The next verse, I'm not 100% sure what the preacher is going after, but it, he could be saying diversify your portfolio or he could be saying give generously, give aggressively. But we're to do this, taking risks in business and giving generously or maybe diversifying your investments. We're to do this knowing full and well that it is God who ultimately knows the ins and outs of life. It's God who actually has to act to give life to the seed and the egg as they come together. This is what the preacher is remembering in verse 5. And so the preacher says in conclusion in verse 6, Sow your seed in the morning, give in the evening. This is how you are to conduct your life. In a world where time and chance seem to overshadow our finest plans, the preacher wants us to be decisive people who take risks, risks in business, ultimately for the good of others. The preacher cautions in verse 4 against the type of person who looks at the wind and tries to make plans, sort of the person who gets caught in inactivity because of an obsession with evaluating risk. One commentator wrote that the, the point of these first six verses is to say, if there's risks in everything in life, it is better to fail in launching out than to hug and to hoard one's resources to oneself. Now, this wisdom to take risks needs to come with all kinds of caveats. You know, obviously the preacher is not saying be a fool and he's not saying invest in absurd penny stocks or, you know, some sort of new crypto and to sink all your investment in that. No way. He's also not giving us advice necessarily on how to act in a global pandemic in terms of putting other people's health at risk and our own health at risk. But he is telling us that there's a certain disposition we're to have in this world. And maybe I could illustrate it this way. A couple of weeks ago, a family actually from the church was over, and as their kids were playing in the backyard, in my neighbor's yard, four houses down, a huge mulberry tree came barreling down. It just fell right over. It went right down in between rows of houses, taking down fences and hanging on the cable line. It was an unbelievably strange experience. I couldn't help but wonder, my goodness, what would this be like to say I survived, you know, the global pandemic, COVID-19, all to die of a mulberry tree falling four houses over? The preacher's point is this, is that when we have experiences like this, we could say, oh my goodness, I need to keep my kids away from trees. In fact, you know, we got lots of trees out in this park where the church is meeting. We better go double check every last one of them to make sure they don't randomly fall, seemingly randomly fall over into the field. The preacher's trying to say, listen, ours is a world where trees do fall over and we have no idea when the next tree might fall over. We do our best to alleviate risk. We do our best to live wise lives. But at the end of the day, we have to trust in the Lord. 
So I wonder, what about you? Where are you paralyzed by overthinking a particular decision? What in your life right now are you obsessing over and you are inactive? You're unable to move. You're in, you are paralyzed because you do not know whether to go to the right or the left because you have so over-evaluated something in front of you. You're so terrified of the risk. The preacher is saying, listen, don't be a fool. Evaluate that which is front of you, in front of you, but act. Act. You don't know how much time you have, and it would be better for you to act decisively, to say, I think this is the best decision, and to commit your plans by faith to the Lord and go down a particular path rather than to sit and do nothing in inactivity. Maybe another way to say what the preacher is saying is, in a world where inflation will certainly wipe out much of your particular wealth, Give generously before it's too late, before, the, before our money system is worthless. Give generously, invest wisely, take risks. This is the preacher's point. Life is frustrating. It is way out of our control. It's an unpredictable world, but we have to trust that the world is in the Lord's hands. He's in control, and so we make plans. We seek his wisdom. We commit our plans to him, and we act in faith, trusting that even our greatest errors— The Lord will find ways, even in and through them, to bring and make us into the people he wants us to be, to work all things out for our good, as is promised in Romans 8. Maybe a way to summarize this first point, in a risky world, if you're going to err, err on the side of taking risks. Sorry, in a frustrating world, if you're going to err, err on the side of taking risks. But because life is frustrating, you shouldn't just take risks. The preacher wants you also to live lives characterized by rejoicing. This is his point in verses 7 through 10, when he talks about delighting in the light, probably a reference to the sunlight and your eyes being able to take it in. The proper response is to rejoice. Now, this passage, verse 7 through 10, if you read it, especially if you have teenage boys or you've been around teenage boys or you happen to be have been a teenage boy, it almost feels like the preacher is saying, follow your heart. You can see it in verse 9. That's almost essentially what he says. Follow your youthful heart. And some of us would say, whoa, 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 slow down. <laughs> you do not want my 15-year-old in the throes of puberty boy to follow his heart. Now, listen, the preacher is obviously not condoning disobedience to God's instructions. He's not condoning uh, sort of acting on all the evil impulses and desires of your heart. But what he is saying is there is a wide, wide world in front of you, especially those of you who are younger. And that world is for your enjoyment. Follow your heart. Figure out how God made you. Figure out where your great passion and where the great need of this world start to intersect and pursue it diligently. This is the preacher's point. Maybe I could say it this way. The preacher is telling you and telling me, enjoyment is a command from God. Think about that next time you sit down in front of a meal. Enjoyment is a command from God. You take in a sporting game on television or in in live format. Enjoyment is a command from God. In the, in the second century, there developed something like a Jewish rabbinical tradition that rabbis put together called the Talmud. And in the Talmud, there's commentary about various passages of the Bible. And one little phrase that is found in there is this, everyone must give an account before God of all the good things one saw in life and did not enjoy. Everyone must give an account before God of all the good things one saw in life and did not enjoy. Now, this might not be scripture. This might be commentary on scripture, but this is true to the preacher's point. 
Listen, delighting in this world, though, without any sort of grounding in truth is just hedonism, and it will rob you of any joy. You'll find yourself overwhelmed by guilt. But seeking the truth, seeking God's will in this world, while also without delighting, will make you a rigid moralistic person that no one will want to be around. Both of these ways of life will kill rejoicing. What the preacher wants you to do is to pursue God and his truth and to delight in the world that he has given you. And when truth and delight start to dance, there you will find yourself rejoicing. We have got to, as we come out of this pandemic one day, maybe five years down the road, I don't know when, but we have got to be a church that is marked by celebrating, enjoying one another, eating lots of food, drinking, laughing. Yes, we also have to be a church that mourns and grieves and is sad. But part of what the preacher is saying is that we are to rejoice, a people marked by rejoicing. We have no control over our future. We don't know what tomorrow holds especially in your youth. Your hearing's going to start to go out. Your sight will begin to fade. So what should you do now? You should rejoice in the gifts you've been given. Aging is harsh, and this future could bring tremendous anxiety. The preacher is saying, life may be harsh, but there are plenty of good gifts to rejoice in now. Don't be caught being ungrateful for any of them. Don't live as though you're in denial of pain. Don't live as though you're in denial of other people's sufferings. No, and I think that's part of, part of the reason we're to take risks and be generous for the good of others. No, if people are in pain and suffering, move towards those things. But at the same time, be people characterized by rejoicing. What gift has God given you that you have failed to rejoice? Some of you have tremendous, tremendous intellects. And you do not know how to enjoy and delight in this great mind that God has given you. You're always busy trying to figure out how to maximize your productivity and make more money off your mind. Some of you have been given tremendous money, tremendous privilege, and you kind of disdain it for fear that somehow uh, it's come to you unfair. That is true. All of this has come to you in an unfair way. You did not earn any of the skills that you have, any of the talents that you have. Some of you have a, a tremendous spouse And in the name of preparing for the future, you are neglecting your marriage. Rejoice in your spouse. Rejoice in your children. If you're ever around anybody whose life is cut short tragically, who dies early, not one of them will ever tell you they wish they would have spent more time at work. Enjoy life's fleeting moments. Enjoy fellowship with one another in the church. Enjoy all the relationships you have because this is a frustrating world. And because it's frustrating, those who walk in faith are people characterized by rejoicing. Err on the side of rejoicing. Next, though, thirdly, because this is a frustrating world, we have to live lives characterized by remembering Remember, this is how the preacher began in chapter 12, or how he began in chapter 12, verse 1. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. While risking and while rejoicing, the preacher wants us to remember our creator. 
Remember before the pains of aging begin to bring great loss in our life. This passage in chapter 12, 1 through 7 is, is kind of a very tough passage and it's a long sentence. Some of the poetic descriptions are of a sort of city crumbling and that's a picture of a body crumbling. The grinders cease to be few. That's got to be the teeth. Um, those who look through the windows are dimmed, a reference to losing your sight and growing old. The almond tree blossoms, gray hair, white hair covering your head. The preacher is giving us a reminder that there are seasons of life in which we can remember. We can, we can bury things deep into our minds. And there are other seasons where it's very hard to remember, where our mind is fleeting. So sing songs, memorize, hang up art, create banners. Remember not only the good things God has done in the scriptures, but certainly that as well. The way in which he rescued his people from Egypt, the way in which he passed over each home uh, in the Passover, the way in which he died on the cross for your sins. Uh, Jesus died on the cross for your and my sins. The ways in which he rose from the dead. Remember those things. Don't forget them. Sing and celebrate about them. Chant about them. But also remember the good things God has given you in life, the good and sweet moments of your family, of your marriage, the good times at work, the good times with your home, all these great memories. Remember, 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 because a time will come when your mind gets blurry. One day it will be too late to remember. The preacher would tell you, though, it will never be too early. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of watching and being near someone dying of Alzheimer's, but it is a very difficult thing to watch. And it's also a very important thing for all of us to watch because as a person begins to lose their memory and they start to be aware that they're losing their memory, it's a frustrating experience. And yet you talk to almost any healthcare professional who watches people die of Alzheimer's and there is a certain type of person whose sweet disposition, whose fruit of the spirit begins to blossom and come alive as they began to lose their mind because they remembered, they remembered their creator in the days of their youth. And that protected and prepared them for the days when life became hard, when it's harder to find yourself learning. This is the preacher's point. We are all in a season of preparing for our memory to slip. You and I right now are. Some of us are closer than others. As the school year began, I'm reminded of how strong my kid's memory is, but really how weak mine is becoming. In a world that is frustrating, though, in a world where we know our memory is going to fade towards the end of our lives, take time to remember. Remember all the gifts you have been given. Remember you didn't deserve any of them. All of them come as gifts. And though this may be a frustrating world, it is a world in which we can walk with hope. Because the preacher would have us be a people who remember that God always acts in history, who remember that God remembers his promises. He remembers the promises he made to those who came before us, and he always acts in good on them. And in a way that the preacher could never understand, we are to remember that in our frustrating world, our God remembered us and the promises he made to us. And he sent his son to take on human flesh, to be a true and real human being and to die on the cross that we could find a way to have our sins atoned for, the debts paid for. And Jesus rose from the dead. And because of that, we now know that beneath all of the injustices in this world, there is a deep, deep, deep reality that all will be well. All reality will experience a resurrection And because of that, we are to live with hope and faith 
that this resurrection will come indeed to us as we walk in this frustrating world. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at christchurchtoronto.ca or email us at info at christchurchtoronto.ca.